what you have to say to us through our friends. Good morning and happy Father's Day, as was already said to you many times. It sure is bright up here. was not expecting that. How do you see anything from here? Uh, if you would, uh, please join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we gather this morning to hear from you, from your spirit, I pray, Lord, that the words that you've given me to speak here today would be pleasing to your ears, that you would add change and delete and alter in any way, Lord, that you feel fit according to your spirit. And Lord, that above all things, the name of Jesus be glorified and that we lift you up. It's in your name we pray. Amen. When uh, when I was approached by Pastor Joel to uh, speak this morning, uh, I immediately went, uh, agreed, and I went into prayer and I, and I started asking God, I said, what can I possibly present this morning over the next 90 minutes that would change and alter. <laughs> All right. I was going to try to draw you back after that, but you guys already know that I'm not going to go 90 minutes. He gave me two hours today, so that's good news. A little bit about myself. The year was 1999, Thanksgiving weekend, and I, I suffered a, an experience in my life that was, it was life-altering. It was the kind of thing that that grabs you from the inside and, and just begins to tear you apart and puts you in a position and a place that you've never experienced before. And and I, I was undergoing this immense trial, and um, I, I found myself. Uh, it, it was the year was 1999. I, I was 31 years old, and uh, to, I'll spare you the mental math. That makes me almost 48. So uh, that's where we stand there. And I was uh, going through this this trial. And I, I remember one day in particular, I, I found myself in, in such pain, feeling so much anguish that I was, I was curled up in like a fetal position on the bathroom floor one particular day that weekend. And uh, if you think at all like my wife, I feel it necessary to bring up right now that I was on the floor, but I was over by the sink uh, and not the toilet area. So uh, lying there, I remember hearing what to this day is still the, the most audible sound of God's voice that I ever heard. It, it wasn't audible in the ears, but in the heart. And as I lie there in, in tremendous amount of pain, figuring that if I was going to hear from God, it would have been something comforting, something encouraging, something to, to build me back up and, and to help me. But what I heard uh, wasn't what I wanted to hear, but Instead, it was what I needed to hear. And as I lie there in pain, I heard God say to me, My son, why are you crying? Isn't it not just your pride that has been wounded? And, and those words, they just they struck to the, the very marrow, the very fiber of who I was. Isn't it just your pride that has been wounded? And the moment I heard that, I, I, I got... I started to, to weep and wail, I, almost as I can imagine Peter did at his third denial of Christ. It was the, a life-defining moment for me. And I learned a few things, though, uh, during that period in my life. I learned that when God strikes a blow to human pride, be prepared 
to die inside. Now, I don't have a formal outline or, or notes to fill in, but you're welcome to take notes if, if you'd like uh, this morning. When God strikes a blow to your human pride, be prepared to die inside because that's what he's attempting to do. He's attempting to kill the part of you that is against the part of him that wants to be manifest in you. I also learned during that time that you cannot dance with the devil for 15 plus years and expect to wake up one day and be content with the results of your life. You just can't do it. I also learned that consequences are not related to, connected to, or otherwise associated with forgiveness. God had forgiven me for things that I have done, but consequences, totally different animal. And we, we suffer those at times. But not only did I learn some things during that period of my life, but I began to find some things. We were down in Florida at the time, and uh, I found a Calvary Chapel. It was a, a Bible-believing, verse-by-verse teaching church in uh, Lake Worth, Florida. Uh, and I'm glad I found that. It was, uh, it was a lifeline for the period of, uh, of my life during that time. Uh, I also found the, the love of my life, Victoria, my true soulmate, the, the one God had picked out for me originally. Uh, subsequently leading to the blessing of our son, Matthew Jr. I found that God is faithful. God is faithful. He truly can turn your ashes into beauty, joy for mourning, praise for despair. Those words Jesus spoke on the mount where he said, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. I found those things to be true. But above all, I found out that Psalm 46.10 is true, where he says to be still and know that I am God. Nothing, I mean nothing, did I say nothing, is better than knowing God. My life, of course, was dramatically altered at that time. Thank God for that. I began to seek out ministry and the, the plans that God had for my life. I Got a degree in uh, biblical theology, and uh, we moved north a little bit to uh, Stewart, Florida, where I found a, we got involved in another Calvary Chapel up there, and a pastor mentored me for, uh, for, for about three or four years. And about seven years after that fateful day on the bathroom floor, we started Calvary Chapel in Stewart, Florida, me, my wife, my parents, and another couple, the six of us. On, uh, it was Easter Sunday of 2006. Fast forward five years later. We made the very difficult decision to, to leave the church and to move to Tennessee. We moved to Knoxville. And uh, I preached my last sermon on Easter, or in June rather, of 2011. And here I am, exactly almost to the day, five years later, having another opportunity to bring forth God's Word. And I'm thankful for that. But one of the reasons we moved to this part of the country was because of the, uh, the changing of the seasons. After 20 years in Florida... It was a welcome thing to have a changing of the season. And by a show of hands, how many people here uh, would consider fall or spring their favorite season of the year? Pretty good amount. I kind of figured as much. How about summer? Any summer people out there? Love the heat. Love the summer. Good for you. Winter? Favorite? Favorite? There's, there's my people. A couple of you here. Not a lot, but uh, winter is beautiful. But uh, the seasons and the changing of the seasons was one of the reasons that we moved up here. And so... Uh, what we didn't know was that we were about to enter a spiritual season that we were really not uh, prepared for. When we moved to Knoxville in 2011, 
we truly thought that we were just going to kind of pick up where we left off. I figured we would plant a church somewhere and begin you know, going, doing the things that we did down there and, and just preaching and whatever have you. I mean, after all, we were moving to the Bible belt of the country, but things took a dramatic turn and, and, and doors began to close really quickly. And that that uh, road to starting where we left off kind of got shut down really, really fast. And we were led into a spiritual desert. Um, so having decided or having uh, seen God decide for us that we weren't going to be starting a church anytime soon, we began to seek out and to find a, a home church. Not just any church. We were a little picky because it had to be a Bible-preaching, unabashed, Spirit-led, God-glorifying, Jesus-proclaiming church. Is that too much to ask? What we discovered was, yes, apparently, uh, that, that does seem to be a lot to ask in today's society. What we found instead was really alarming and, quite frankly, at times a little depressing. Uh, there were certain, there were literally certain Sundays that we would attend uh, a fellowship in the in the area, and we would leave there almost more depressed than we we uh, we were going into it. And there's a reason. I'll get to to that in just a few minutes. But um, they weren't all like that, and they weren't all like that all the time. But there were. There were churches out there that it, it just seemed like Jesus Christ no longer is or was the primary focus for the reason church existed. For the reason God's people gathered together, it, it seemed to uh, just be maybe an afterthought or something that was just a, a nice central figure to, to, to talk about once, a time, once in a while. And, and again, not all the time and not all of the churches, but it, it, it looked like it just seemed that that Jesus Christ no longer was the central focus, the primary focus of the church. And the Bible, the, the, the very Word of God, the reason we exist to be a church, what was, in a lot of these places, was like an accessory, uh, sort of an add-on, just used uh, sporadically to promote the pastor's point rather than the other way around. We were kind of dumbfounded we weren't expecting to find what we found and i started thinking about this and i i kind of realized that 30 plus years of a watered down gospel a seeker sensitive prosperity driven mentality has sort of come to fruition and again not all of them not all the time but it was out there it was real we were experiencing it i kind of think about god's word like a like a pendulum and as a pendulum swings, you know, for years back in the in the day where some of you remember, you know, the pendulum was swung all the way over here. And and over here, there's the, the part of God's word that talks about judgment and sin and hell. You remember the sermons, the fire and brimstone and the turn or burn sermons from the 50s and 60s, and those sort of things. And, and it appears that from this side of the pendulum, they everyone, pastors or leaders or whatever, got together and said, we... We're, we're not drawing the people in with these sermons. We need to, we need to switch gears and, and come over here. And, and we need to start telling people about the love of God and the, the, the things that God wants to give them and what they can get from God if they turn over to Christ and, and, and the love and the, uh, the prosperity and the goodness. And it, and it was a warped, is it in here? Yeah, of course it is. God does love us. God does want to prosper us. God does want to give us good things and all these things. 
is this side of the pendulum in here? You're darn right it is. God punishes wickedness. He judges sin. He's a God of wrath, and, but he's also a God of love. And, and either side of the pendulum is an imbalance. He's got, God is a, a God of order and he's a God of balance. And, and these two things, we can't swing back and forth and stay on one end of the pendulum or the other. We've got to be centered in God's word. This has to be the reason and, and the central focus of what we do in, on any given Saturday mor- or Sunday morning. I'm not a Seventh-day Adventist, so let's get, make that clear. Uh, in our church down in Florida, we had a, a, a wooden cross that st- stood behind the pulpit, and it was, it was pretty big. It was probably seven or eight feet, and, and um, you know, wood, it was, it was large, and it was right behind here. And we had it there because it made me look so much holier when I preached. I'm just kidding. Uh, we had it there as sort of a, well, it was a, it was a reminder. It was the centrality of the reason we met every Sunday morning. And my job... Uh, as a preacher, was to uh, take this, present it, and, and at some point during the message, I would metaphorically step down and be standing in the congregation looking at Jesus while continuing to preach this word, and then as the message began to come to a close, actually be behind uh, the congregation and, and all of us pushing forward towards the reason we were here. And at the end of the message, by the time it was over, all of us should be metaphorically and sometimes physically at that foot of that cross, worshiping Jesus, maybe mourning over the things that we've done or who we are. And when you get up on a forum like this, it isn't always easy. The draw to alter the message to suit the hearer's uh, desires is, is powerful. It's, it's a powerful draw. It's, it's like, you know, it's an addiction to, to, that you, you want to preach what people want to hear because then they're excited and, and you, you know, and it's a powerful draw and it's hard to stay away from that. I had to remind myself often that, you know, it was never about me. It wasn't about numbers. It wasn't about whether or not you were comfortable or whether you were going to come back next week. It was always about Jesus. It always has to be about Jesus. It needs to be. I mean, it, it has to be. And it's nothing new. It's the same admonition that was given to the first pastors of the first churches. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 through 4, this is Paul leaving Timothy in his second letter, almost the, the final benediction to Timothy. He says, preach the word. Be prepared in and out of season. Correct, rebuke. Encourage with great patience and careful instruction for a time will come. Now, listen, when people will not put up with sound doctrine instead to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And they will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myths. I believe we've come to the time Paul was talking about. When did sound doctrine and, and believing in God become taboo. It, it seems as, as if it's, it's an abomination in the world and the society today. You know, we, we cannot have too much of God's word. You can't spend an X amount of time in it and go, well, that was enough or that was too much. It, it's like salt water. If you're dying of thirst and you drink salt water, what happens? 
you become thirstier. And the more thirsty you get, the more salt water you drink, the more thirstier you become. And that's what getting into God's Word is like. You know, I mentioned that I got a degree in biblical theology, but that, that's just a piece of paper. During that period of life I was describing earlier to, uh, in the message, uh, I got a job at a condo on the waterfront uh, of the ocean there in South Florida. And my job for eight hours a day was to sit at a desk, watch a monitor, and when the rich people drove up, I pressed the button to let the door open so they can come in. That was my job for eight hours a day. It was great. But I spent seven of those eight hours just reading God's Word, just pouring into it, pouring into it. That was where I got my degree. And you cannot get enough of this. And when you read it, you realize that every text, every verse, every chapter of every single book of this Bible is either pointing to the cross or looking back at it. Every part of this book points back to Jesus. It points back to what he was, either points forward to what he was going to do or it points back to what he has done. Now, I've got to be honest, when I, when I was putting this message together, I really struggled with this, uh, with this sermon because I didn't want to come up here all heavy and critical and negative, especially as a, a guest speaker. And I, and I remember during the preparation saying, God, is this really? And before I even got the question out, he brought back the scripture in Acts 5.29 where Peter and the other apostles had been beaten and they said not to preach anymore and they said we must obey god rather than human beings in fact that's that's really the the crux of what this message is about this morning if i were to alter this sermon for the sole purpose of being invited back again or having you all walking out of here focusing just on god's love and his his forgiveness and his blessings and his prosperity and all those things well then woe unto me Woe unto what I'm supposed to do up here. 1 Corinthians 9.16, Paul says the same thing. He says, For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach. And woe unto me if I do not preach the gospel. Some of the worst sermons that I've ever preached were the ones where people would come up afterwards and say things like, That was such a lovely sermon. Oh, that made me feel really good. I like that one. Instead, I'd rather hear, you know what, that, that really made me uncomfortable. That really forced me to reflect on my life and the way I'm living it, the way I'm serving, the things that I'm doing. That was a self-reflecting sermon, and I didn't like it. Good. So let's kind of switch gears a little bit. And I'm going to start off with a quote from philosopher Edmund Burke. He said, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And women, good people. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Take a look around at our country. Now, I'm not here, even though it's a political year, I'm not here to be political by any stretch of the word. Or I'm not going to just sit here and merely point out what's wrong. But if you look around at our country, especially in the last five years or more, it's kind of a mess. Am I all alone in that thinking? I didn't think so. With the last five or ten years, we have seen a major tip in the scales of how Christianity is viewed by the world. Earth worship is on the rise. People everywhere are just pouring into the environment and worshiping the earth. And more and more attention is being placed on the environment and conservation. And I'm all for that, but it's not to take the place 
of what we're supposed to be worshiping. We are quickly, as Christians, becoming an enemy of the state with our antiquated, closed-minded, unyielding beliefs, our lack of tolerance, our unacceptance of the way people just are. Truly, we're seeing Romans one twenty-five come to life where Paul says that they, they are worshiping the created and not the creator. It's happening right now. And it's on the rise. It's on the rise quickly. There are looking at us as Christians, and we are antiquated, and we are a hindrance to the evolution of modern man. That's how we're being viewed. We're a hindrance to what, what modern man is trying to accomplish with this new set of worship, this age of Aquarius or uh, new world order that is upon us. Humanism has become a, the new religion. There's this inner awakening or inner enlightenment that people are trying to find now, this next level consciousness, anything but this. You can call it whatever you want, but the word is still the same. It is self-worship, and it's as old as the first sin ever recorded. Now, I also have to say that I am not at all surprised at the world for this kind of thinking. You and I, people, we were created to be a worshiping people. We were created to worship God. And if you don't have God as part of the equation of your worship, well, then that's what they're left to do. So I'm not surprised by this type of thinking. Without God, that is the expected path. But what I do have a problem with, and I mean a big problem, and I'm sorry if I come across strong, but there are, I'm a, I have a problem with the amount of churches that are conforming to accommodate the new mentality. It's, it's a detriment. It used to be that if you lived in contradiction to God's word or to the Bible, you separated yourself from the church. Now, the church is a, a hospital for sinners. It always was, always will be. We would welcome anybody into the church who's struggling with a particular sin. That's why we exist. That's what Jesus did. But it used, it used to be if you lived in contradiction, you couldn't be a part of the church and continue in that sin. You were encouraged. You, you couldn't help but be come face to face with whatever it is you were dealing with because this was being preached every single Sunday morning. And when this is being preached, you can't sit and be who you were without being challenged to become who God wants you to be. Now, instead of avoiding church, these unashamed sinners with no intention of changing, let me repeat that because that's the key part of what I'm talking about. These unashamed sinners with no intention of changing are seeking out churches that have conformed, that will just accept them the way they are. And I know we are a hospital for sinners, but you should never be comfortable as a sinner in church. Woe unto me if I do not preach the gospel. What does the word gospel mean? Good news. Yeah, that's what it means. It means good news. And the good news is that we're not helpless. We could still make a difference. As discouraging as the state of affairs are in the world and even in the church in some states, some instances rather, we can still make a difference. But let me just say, don't be surprised or discouraged by all the evil and wickedness that we see in the world today. Don't be surprised. Don't be discouraged. 
Because Jesus said that was going to happen. We are right on course with what Jesus said would happen. In Matthew chapter 24, we're going to read a good section of that here. Uh, As Jesus was sitting, starting at verse 3, on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming that I am the Messiah and they will deceive many. You will hear wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen. But the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these things are the beginning of birth pangs. Let's stop there for a second. We are at this point in history right where we're supposed to be. God is still on his throne. Jesus is still coming back and wickedness will not go unpunished. We are right where we're supposed to be. So don't be too surprised when you read the paper or open up the internet news and you look and you see the things. It's appalling, yes. Surprising? We're right where Jesus said we were supposed to be. He goes on, he says, now pay attention to this because this is where it becomes real to you and I. He says, you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. You will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many. And because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Just to sum up that little bit I just read, persecuted, hated, apostasy, betrayed, death, false teachers, deception, wickedness, lovelessness. These are the things we have to be prepared to deal with. As the culture is changing and we are becoming more and more the enemy of the state, this antiquated, in the way of what, what evolution is doing to humanity, as it, as it were. And believe me, I'm not just speaking on... Uh, I have, I'll share with you a little while about why I know this stuff is true. But we have to be ready for these things. Persecuted, hated, apostasy, betrayal, death, false teachers, deception, wickedness, lovelessness. Are you ready to face that? Because you need to be. You need to be prepared. And I think that this is the new mentality that must permeate the churches today. If we're going to survive the way the culture and the society is changing, if we're going to be effective and relevant and truly change people to make a difference, we have to have the mentality that is ready to face the things that Jesus said we're going to face. And the only way we're going to be ready is this. The only way we're going to be ready and prepared is to have this brought before us every single week, every single day. This is the only preparation we need to stand relevant in a world that is ever-changing. A lot of you probably have belonged to this church for a long time, or, or you were involved in churches for a long time, or... Uh, you know, plugged into Christian circles and that things. And, and uh, you know, maybe you haven't had a chance to see how things have changed out there. But those four years, when we moved to Knoxville for three years and then another year in Kingsport, those four years were the driest season my wife and I have ever gone through. But they also gave us an opportunity that I wouldn't have had had we not gone through that. If we had found a church right away. We were able to see that the current culture and the state of affairs 
that is out there today. It's, it's kind of changed my ministry direction. It's kind of given me a new uh, mindset on the way things are, are going. And I've begun to realize that really the world isn't going to change back for the better. I know that sounds depressing, but that's what Jesus said. He said, these things must happen. These are the things that are going to be in place before my return. And I've lived long enough now to actually see cultural shifts, not just read about them. I've seen what 30 years of watered-down prosperity preaching has done to the church the way it is in a lot of places today. Like the Edmund Burke quote we had up there, just sitting by doing nothing is all that it takes for wickedness to prosper. We have to take a hold of God's word. We have to take a hold of the truth. And we've got to present it. We've got to come forward with it. We're in the background, it seems. Have we lost our power? If you step away from his word, yes. Because now you're trying to do it on your own. And you have no power apart from Jesus Christ. Now, how do I know we've lost our power as a church, locally, globally, worldwide, whatever? Just take a look around. You see it. You read about it every day. So what are we going to do about it? We've got to do something. So I've got a few points to, to, to bring up. It's, it's not an exhaustive list by any stretch of, of the word, but it is something applicable that we can put into action to try to stand firm in a culture that's changing rapidly. The first thing I would recommend to everyone here, and ironically you don't need to hear it because you're here, but the first thing I would say is keep coming to church. You've got to keep coming to church. And I know I may have sound a little anti-church this morning, but believe me, I am far, far from that. It is the greatest institution ever created. It was the last thing Jesus put forth before his ascension. He set up the pastors and the leaders and churches. This is what, what Jesus' final legacy, so to speak, before he left, was to establish these churches. Hebrews 10.25, the writer tells us, to let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, or as other uh, versions might say, forsaking the assembly. And why did he write that? Because he knew that it's, it's hard to keep coming to church sometimes. There are a million things. Uh, devil loves Sunday mornings. You know, there's a million other things that, that come into one's mind prior to coming to church. And this is church. Coming and fellowshipping, rubbing arms with one another, sharpening our iron, encouraging, praying, lifting up. Church is not... Uh, watching somebody on the internet do a minute and a half selfie video or, you know, going to the nature and, and spending time with God. Those things are good, but that's not church. You know, there is a reason why our four-year drought of church shopping, I'm not saying hopping because there's a big difference, but church shopping, there's a reason why it ended at GFC. We have here great leadership with right priorities. We have here a great pastor who stays in the Word of God and does a great job bringing it forward. And we have great people here. You know, it, it wasn't a coincidence that we stopped looking for a church when we came to Grace Fellowship. Good leadership, good pastor, good people. Check, check, check. I'm to make sure I got all those in. But that is not the end game. 
Okay, this isn't the end of it all. Because uh, Oswald Chambers said this. He said, God's ultimate purpose is that his son might be manifest in our mortal flesh. God's ultimate purpose is that his son might be manifest in our mortal flesh. And that's what we do here. This isn't our weekly service to God. This isn't, it doesn't begin and end at church. This is a place of refreshing and of training and of encouragement and worship and fellowship. But to what end? This is just that place. I remember when I was younger, we, my mom got me a Hot Wheels track. And I'm probably going to date myself here, but uh, this Hot Wheels track, you put it together and there was one part of the track that you would put a couple of D batteries in. It had like these two foam wheels and you turn it on. Those wheels would spin really, really fast. And the idea was that you took the car and you push it into the, the two wheels and it would shoot out and it would be enough power to get it around the track to just make it back to the two wheels that were spinning and boom, it would hit it again and it would go around. And, and that was the, the, the source of power for the car to go around. And I started thinking, what a great analogy of church. You know, we come to church and we get filled up and we get fed and, and we get the, the power to go forth. And as we go out into the track, being Monday through Saturday, and as we go around the track, we're getting bumped and bruised and beaten and the devil is whispering. And, and we're just, by the time Sunday morning comes around, we're, we've got just enough energy to get back to those wheels and get that boost again. And when the batteries began to run low... We knew it was time to change the batteries because the car wouldn't make it all the way around. And if the church isn't bringing forth God's word in all of its entirety, this side of the pendulum and that side, then you're not going to get filled up enough to make it through the week. You're not going to get the power that this church that Christ set up was designed to set it up for. You're not going to get that power to go forward. You know, the vision of this church is to reach unchurched people by releasing People who love Jesus passionately and others irresistible, uh, irresistibly. But you can't do that if you are not receiving enough of the power on Sunday morning. And thank God. Okay, this thing, it's twice, two weeks in a row that it's done that. I'm beginning to think Phil's back there just chuckling under his breath. All right, second thing we can do. I need you to realize that ministry doesn't have to be life altering and and this was believe it or not a, it's kind of a recent revelation even for, you know, for me because uh and this doesn't this isn't from me uh i had listened to a message by charles stanley a few weeks back and and it just opened my eyes and he was talking about how you know ministry isn't just some major altering thing that you change and all of a sudden that's what you're doing for the rest of your life it's little things that you can do throughout your day. Little things to help somebody out. Words of, of encouragement. And you don't even have to attach a gospel message to each one of those things. God will prepare the message if it, you know, if it opens up a, a door in that way. But just go out there and do little things because our culture has changed, but our message has not. Jesus summed it up. Love God. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So we start small. We do little things throughout the day. And there are plenty of examples in God's word. Uh, uh, there was Dorcas, God bless her in her name, but she would make clothes and, and distribute them to uh, poor people. There was, uh, you know, Simon, who maybe his only act of service was to help Jesus carry the cross for that short amount of time. There was the Good Samaritan who stopped to help out the one who was beaten. 
There was the four friends who lowered their crippled friend down through the roof so that Jesus could heal him. There was the guy that came back the next day and fixed the roof. I mean, there are all kinds of little examples that we can do throughout the week. And then God will use those. And when the door opens, what did Paul say? Be prepared in and out of season and always be prepared to give an example of the faith that you have. Every act of service that is done with the right heart, it's a little light being placed in a dark world. God created the heavens and he created the earth. And the very next thing he said is, let there be light. Let there be something that shines in the darkness. I have a vision. This is a whole nother sermon. But I have a vision that the word of God is going to be preached, not just in churches on Sunday mornings, but in businesses and parking lots and cul-de-sacs and, and just all over the, the community in little pods of, of the, the word of God going out. Letting, leaving, obeying God and leave the results up to Him. That's, that's what I've heard. You know, I, everyone here is familiar with what a GPS does, right? A GPS, it, it guides you through your route to your destination. Uh, I'm going to give you a quick in three sentences. I'm going to give you a whole sermon in three sentences. Uh, take the same concept of a GPS. A GPS helps you get uh, from one place to another by navigating you through your route. And that is how we as Christians can navigate through God's will for our lives. GPS, you can remember this or write it down. G stands for gifts, P for passion, S for service. Find out what your gifts are. Pray about your spiritual gifts if you don't know already. Discover what your passion is. Combine the two and serve in that area. Gifts, passion, service. Finding your way through God's spiritual life uh, will for your life. And thirdly, and this is, this is important, the third thing we can do, get off fence and be an offense. It's a little play on words, but bear with me. Get off fence and be an offense. And for some of you, and in many ways, myself included, I am you. You know, we, we waver a lot in our Christian walk, don't we? we? We're uncommittal in some of those areas in our life, if we're honest with ourselves. We're on the fence with some of our convictions. And I'm here to tell you that you cannot have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom, or you'll be miserable in both. If that's the way you're living life, you'll have too much of God to be happy in the world and too much of the world to be happy in Christ. We've got to get off the fence. And we've got to be a little more offensive. Now, that doesn't mean we need to be offensive. I'm not out to go out and insult people. I'm not going to get mean and vicious. But we've got to be on the offensive. You understand the difference? And you can ask any offensive lineman from Pee Wee to the NFL whether they would prefer to block for a run play or a pass play, and almost hands down, they'll always tell you they'd much rather block for a running play. Because when that quarterback says hike, they get to push forward with their weight. They're the initiator pushing forward, as opposed to a pass play. When the ball says hike, they've got to come up, and they've got to be on the defensive, trying to keep that pass rusher from the quarterback. It is always easier to push forward than it is to try to be on your heels holding something back. 
Man, you would be surprised the amount of football analogies that apply to the kingdom of God. Maybe that's why this church is so big on football, because there is a lot of analogies that, that do connect. Um, but another time for that. Matthew eleven twelve says, And from the time of John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it. The kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. That means that we must have the same zeal for the word as people have who are against it. We have to have the same passion for the people and for God's word that others have against God's word. I can remember when we were younger, we would go over to my aunt's house up in Connecticut where, we, where I grew up and we would, uh, she had an above ground pool. It was one of the, the larger ones. And uh, me and all the cousins, we'd get in the pool and we would do this thing where we'd all go in the same direction, right? As fast as we could and just start running. We'd get that water just swirling around, going in the same direction really fast. And, then, and at one point we would yell, okay, ready? Now. And then we would turn around and try to fight the, the whirlpool that was going in this direction. And we would go against it and the younger cousins would be flying by us because they couldn't hold on. And, and, and you would go against it just to see how well you can do against such a wicked current. And that is a great analogy of what the world, what it's like today to be a Christian. We are fighting a strong current that is coming against us. And if we're not prepared, if we're not ready, if we aren't preparing ourselves, we're going to get swept away like a baby cousin. And you're going to hear something out there you probably already had. When you start standing up for the truth, you're going to hear some people say to you, who are you to judge? Who are you to judge? And that's a hard thing to, to combat because we aren't the ultimate judge. Amen. Christ will do that. But when somebody says to you, who are you to judge? Here's what I want you to say. I want you to be bold and I want you to be offensive. And I'd like to hear you say, we are. Who are you to judge? I'm, I am to judge. I'm supposed to judge. Now, it doesn't mean I'm going to be judgmental. But what, I, what it means is that I, as a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, possess the only real truth. I am the one with the straight line. I know what God says is right and what God says is wrong. And I don't care what you believe or what you've read. When you come against this, I am judging your behavior as an opposition to what God said is right and true and real. That's what I'm judging. I'm judging the behavior. I am going to judge what you say is right against what God says is right. So, yeah, I'm going to judge that. I'm not going to judge where you're going or what consequences. Are, I'm not going to judge any of that. But I'm going to judge behavior based on what God says because if we don't do it, who's going to? Do you believe that we possess the only real truth in this world today? If you believe that, then you'll stand up with it and you will judge the sins that people come to you trying to say, this is what we believe. That makes it right. It doesn't make it right. We have the standard of morality. We have the standard of righteousness. And if we are not qualified to judge sinful behavior, then who in the world is? And we judge by proclaiming its opposition to the Bible. And if you're afraid, 
that you're going to step on somebody's toes, you've got your eyes in the wrong direction. I want to end this morning by saying that we've got to swing hard enough to strike out if we're going to swing hard enough to hit a home run. In other words, we can't just go about our Christianity status quo anymore. Maybe it's time that some of us, self-included, step up a little bit. Maybe it's time to start analyzing some of the things that are, some of the patterns that are in my life. My goal today wasn't just to get up here and rant uh, about what's going on in the world today, but it, it was an, an attempt to change the mindset, to, to get us thinking uh, that, you know, this is what's going on in the world today. Maybe it's time I start looking inwardly a little bit. This is the part of the message that most people don't want to hear. It's where I tell you to examine that nagging behavior that just keeps rearing its ugly head in your life, that, that repeated sin, that fleshly victor that keeps winning over your life. Enough. Stop it. Make the decision that we're going to stand strong for God. Let me tell you, God will not pour supernatural power into a natural body. God does not pour spirituality into carnality. Jesus says, do not put new wine into an old wineskin. For many of us, maybe all that God is waiting for is for us to shed that old wineskin, make a new through our heart, a commitment to God. Maybe it's to stop that one particular behavior. I mean, I could say right now, hey, everyone in here, what is that one thing you need to work on? And every one of you have something that just came to your mind. It's, it's that, that thing that just keeps winning. And you say, you sit there, I hear you saying, I know I want to, but the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I'm going to give you something real quick to write it down and we'll be done here shortly. This, it's, it's simply this, okay? Number one, I can't change my heart, but I can change my mind. You see, the heart isn't for you to change. You, you don't have the, the power to change your heart. The, the Bible says in Jeremiah that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? To change your heart, not your job. But I can change my mind. God won't change my mind, but he can change my heart. God did not create robots. He doesn't come down and go, I'm going to change your mind about this particular thinking. He doesn't do that. That is the beauty of Christianity. We have free will. But God can change my heart. And so the reality here, the, the, the logical Conclusion of that is if I change my mind, which I have the power to do, then God will change my heart, which he has the power to do. Maybe that's what it's going to take. You know, if anyone here has ever quit smoking or dipping or, you know, any, any of those habits that, that, you know, you've quit in the past, you probably tried a hundred times and, and maybe now you're, you've, you've quit, but why didn't it work all the other times? How come it just worked one day? I, the reason is because you've changed your mind. At some point, God knows immediately when your mind has truly been changed and God begins to work. Now, I'm not mad at the world for what they're doing today. It's, they're just doing what is natural. The question, I guess, is are we doing what is supernatural? You know, today is Father's Day. And 
it's actually uh, a little special for me. Um, part of that scenario I opened up with today uh, about being in that situation in my life was uh, gone through a divorce, and I had two young kids at the time, and that was everything just crumbled, and that's what brought me so low that I found God. And today is actually not only Father's Day for me, but it is. My son, he's 25 today, my firstborn child, and he came up to me in March 20th, 2013, called me up and said, Dad, I don't believe in a fairy tale as you raised me on. I don't, just can't believe that. I said, this is it. This is, we live, we die, that's the end of it. We, we are focusing on, he's, he's, a, he's a science it's all about science. It's about humanism. He, he's completely abandoned his God. He's walking around with hate towards the one who created him. And I can't help it, but the devil is coming after our children. He's coming after our generations. And if we don't make a stand... He's going to come after your kids, too, and your grandkids. He's relentless, but he's also a loser. So we need to stand strong, stay in the word. Anything else I said, I'll be redundant. So let's pray. God, we thank you that this was something that you laid on my heart. I thank you for the opportunity to preach to an audience of one this morning. And I thank you, Lord, that you are still on your throne. That there is coming a time when you will renew all things through your Son. Until that day, give us strength. Give us boldness. Help us to have the power to move forward in your word. Bless this church. Bless the things that we're going to do. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' precious name.